Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. On the Blog Talk Radio and affiliate networks is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder here at Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred. Hey, Greg. Uh, great to be with you again this week and uh, looking forward to a couple of shows we're doing in the coming weeks. Absolutely. Locked and loaded, as we say. So for those of you not familiar with my colleague, Fred, he is a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, which is a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and is past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance. Fred will be seated as a judge in the upcoming World Healthcare Congress Health Value Awards convening in D.C. from April 29th to May 2nd. Fred is known on Twitter as at F.S. Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and PrecisionMedicine.Center. And now for today's special guest, making an encore appearance on Pop Health Week, Theodore R., a.k.a. Ted Willich, and Matt Berseth of NLP Logics, which is a behavioral analytics and predictive modeling company based in Jacksonville, Florida. Ted is CEO with more than 20 years of experience founding and leading high-growth companies. Prior to NLP Logics, Ted was founder and COO of MDI, a startup in the medical services industry that grew from zero to over $100 million in annual revenues over the course of 18 years. Matt is lead scientist at NLP Logics. He began his career as an intern for Microsoft, which had recently acquired the Plains Accounting Software Platform in Far- Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, upon completing his master's in computer science, Matt moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where he continued his software development career, working for a number of healthcare marketing and logistics companies, where Matt's focus was in developing and deploying predictive modeling applications into a production environment. And with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Let's catch up with Ted and Matt and see what's new since our last chat in August of 2017. Fantastic. Thanks, Greg. And uh, Ted and Matt, welcome to the show again. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Fred and Greg. Great. Perhaps again, um, Ted, you could start a little bit. Give us a, a little intro again on, on your company and the areas you focus on in healthcare. Sure. Um, so NLP Logics um, has been in business for uh, seven years, and um, our, our original business plan was to use natural language processing to integrate disparate health IT silos. That was how we were going to set the world on fire. And that's also how we got our first name NLP. But um, uh, as, as often happens with a startup, um, we uh, 
Uh, Matt started competing in data science contests hosted by Kaggle.com, and he started winning. Um, in fact, the, uh, the first um, contest that he won was a predictive model to uh, bolt onto the um, practice fusion EHR and identify patients with undiagnosed type, uh, type 2 diabetes. And um, it was then that we, we changed the business model and, and really focused on developing um, machine learning predictive models for industries, um, um, including healthcare, but, but not exclusive. Um, right now, we've got a number of ventures in the healthcare space. Um, one we'll, we'll talk about a little bit today about with some of the uh, computer vision and deep learning um, algorithms that we've co-developed with Mayo Clinic. Um, we also have um, a, a contract we have for about uh, five or six years with the Florida Poison Information Center Network where we're using a lot of um, uh, healthcare data to, to help the poison centers um, react to and, and predict outbreaks of poisonings. Um, and uh, let's see, we've got a couple of more in there, right, Matt? We've got the wound care company where we're, um, we have models to um, predict how soon a wound would, would heal. Um, and uh, we just started a, a large uh, venture with a, with a company to um, automate the, uh, the coding of their EHRs for, for billing purposes. So it's a wide swath, but um, the core tech and the core team is, is – uh, it is really the, the same skill sets in blocking and tackling. Yes, and Matt, can you sort of touch on, the, we, we discussed kind of pre-show, you know, AI, machine learning, deep learning, and this is really a deep learning example. And maybe for our audience, uh, explain some of the differences with those, those terms and what they do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess I'll sort of start, I guess, at the at the top a little bit and and just uh, I, I think to better understand what deep learning is and, and why it's uh, so important, it, it's probably good to take just one small step back and talk about machine learning, um, which is really a just just an approach. It's been around for a long time, but basically it's novel in that um, it's a way to develop computer systems that will learn how to um, achieve some task uh, given some data. And so instead of having a developer sit down and explicitly program rules, if this, then do that, um, if this, then take this action, instead you have an algorithm that you, you provide it data and you show it the relationship between the data and the outcome, uh, then it will learn um, the rules by itself. And so it's really a, it's a dynamic way to build these, these systems. Um, and so when you think about deep learning, deep learning is really uh, sort of an advancement of machine learning. And, and really the key, there's a couple of key properties, but the, the really important takeaway is that a lot of machine learning based algorithms, they kind of reach a performance plateau. And so, um, it, and, and that's kind of where deep learning sort of stands out is, is deep learning is really exciting because as you provide it more data, it breaks through that performance plateau and continues to achieve uh, human, sometimes human level results and sometimes superhuman level results, which is, which is really interesting. And that's, I think, why it makes it um, especially interesting when you start thinking about healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I know in this case, it's being applied to imaging. And uh, Ted, could you perhaps talk a little bit on the relationship you have, because you were doing this work with Mayo, is that correct? 
Um, yeah, so so about um, uh, a year or so ago, um, Matt uh, competed in a in a data science contest where the challenge was to identify uh, white matter hyperintensities in in brain imagery. And as usual, he did he did extremely well, um, and and it was recognized as a as a top performing algorithm. And so we 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 brought that back, um, and and linked up with the uh, the Mayo Clinic folks um, here in Jacksonville, just down the uh, just down the road from us. And um, the 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 goal was to instead of just have it win a contest and accolades, is is let's let's get this into production. You know that's that's what we do. And, and so we, we uh, worked with the team there, Dr. Vivek Gupta, the neuroradiologist, um, worked with us to annotate and to um, bring in more images and, and images of um, obviously de-identified of PHI. I always have to do that, you know, that disclaimer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, right. um, and, um, and we use those images uh, to, uh, you know, attain a higher degree of, of accuracy and uh, so that's that's really kind of the the genesis of it, and and we've since uh, we have a, a co-product development agreement with them, and a pipeline of more um, algorithms to to follow. And so when uh, Matt, perhaps you touch on this when we're looking at white matter in the brain, and what specifically is your algorithm doing with that? And perhaps one of you can touch on the importance of that. Yeah, so um, I can go through some of the details of, of mm -hmm. what the algorithm does. And, and this is kind of what's interesting with, I think, deep learning in general, is that, um, I'm, you know, I'm not a clinician, and so I don't understand uh, a lot of the uh, working to the brain, obviously. However, um, you know, when we work on these problems, they've sort of been distilled to these are, this is imagery, this is an MR of a brain, and a clinician has gone into those MRs and they've identified uh, the regions that are positive for white matter hyperintensity. And that's what we call the labeled data set. And so what our algorithm does is it takes a T1 and a flare, so two MRIs, uh, takes both of those images um, or volumes, you could think of them, which are um, sort of slices of the brain that a radiologist would look at, and a radiologist would have access typically to both the T1 and the flare. And what they, what the algorithm does is really mimics what the radiologist does, which is goes through the slices of the brain and identifies the voxels or three-dimensional pixels that are positive for white matter hyperintensity. And what is interesting about uh, white matter disease is that it's not, um, and you know, caveats, I'm not a clinician, but I think everybody has some form of white matter hyperintensity in their brain. But, so it's not your positive or your negative at, you know, this mass level. What it really comes down to is what is the volume of, what volume of your brain is positive for white matter hyperintensity. And then the value of that metric, which is um, challenging for a clinician to go through and quantify exactly, um, the value of having that is to take that and benchmark that over time. So you can see in six month intervals, how is the white matter disease progressing and how does that correlate to other symptoms or other problems that the patient is having? And so what, what's really interesting about this use case is that 
um, this is a task a clinician could go through, sit down and, um, and go and highlight the pixels and count the volume for the white matter disease. But in practice, it's very rarely done because it's a, such a time consuming task. And that's why, um, you know, is a really great task for an algorithm because, um, you know, it, it's, it's something that it may take a human 20 minutes and um, it may take an algorithm 20 seconds. And so that's why we're pretty excited about it. And then um, coupling that with the performance levels that we were able to achieve, it, it's really an, an exciting use case. And so... Uh... This is essentially what you're doing is you're looking at two images of an individual's brain, and then you can say in image one, here's the volume of white matter hyperintensity, intensity, and then and here it is in uh, image two, and we've seen this sort of a change. There's more of it, or you know, x percent more, something like that. Yeah, that's actually a good question. So you know, I like I said, a T1 and a flare are what the algorithm analyzes. Um, so really what it's doing is it's taking, a, a, the algorithm is reasoning about the differences in intensity between the same voxels of the brain in each of those images. It would kind of be like taking a picture of somebody from two different perspectives and then using both of that information to identify what, what pixels are positive or negative for white matter disease. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and in particular, I guess this, this is originally was used, is being used for MS. Yeah, um, that that's one of the areas that we're excited about is that um, it's useful to identify um, what are what drugs that target MS at how they are uh, either um, you know slowing or stopping or regressing the white matter disease in the patient. And so, some groups will when they're studying MS drugs, and Ted can add way more color on this. Um, but as they're studying MS drugs, they will have a, a trial where they will, a clinical trial where they will take MRs of the patients every single month and then um, monitor different metrics of the brain, but get that reading every month. And so you have thousands of patients with literally 10, 20 uh, MRs each that, uh, you know, people are going through and hand coding values like this to try to identify what would make a good endpoint for their drug. Mm -hmm. Got it. And Ted, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think, I think Matt, um, Matt nailed it. The, the, the first use case that, that we've, um, that we've gotten is with, um, is with, with pharma companies and, and, uh, we're talking to a number number of clinical research organizations um, as well to to deploy it so that they get uh, you know you know better faster cheaper kind of th you know on the readings and um, you know this this algorithm can can really scale nicely um, we've gotten a lot of support from Microsoft Microsoft has um, uh, been working with us to deploy this um, algorithm onto their Azure uh, platform, their GPU enabled platform. And um, the um, you know, literally anybody in the world um, with an internet connection and um, you know, these, these MRI studies can get the same level of accuracy as, as a, uh, you know, neuroradiologist in, in uh, Jacksonville with Mayo Clinic. So it's, it's very exciting. 
So is that up and running now or going to be up soon? It is, it is up and running. Um, Mac could probably look out his office right now and ask uh, Mr. Michael Mann, one of our senior software <laughs> engineers here at NLP Logic, uh, if it is up and running right now. Um, but uh, but it's, it's, we've been testing it and uh, it, it'll be out in the wild here. Um, if it's not already, it'll, it'll be very shortly. I, I actually saw it in, in the wild yesterday, but I don't know if he's taking it back down or, or what, but we're, we're beating it up pretty good, you know, testing it. Um, the first test will be done. Um, it, well, they have already been done, but as far as the Azure platform will be done by the, the three Mayo campuses and, and their neurology groups. So essentially this will be a, somebody could access this with their MR images and, pu and push them into this, algorithm that would then give them the results back is that yes that, that's correct it, it'll take um it, it'll take a, a paired t1 and flare uh run the algorithm over it and then produce um two things what well, one thing is visually it'll produce what, what you could look at and think of like as a heat map of the brain so something visual that you could go through and look at the slices as they are paired with the original T1 and flare. And that'll give you an idea for visually what areas of the brain are, you know, positive for white matter hyperintensity. And then the second thing is volumetrics are important from, you know, capturing the data elements and putting them into the, um, the medical record. So what, what else we do is we identify the size, some basic metrics around the sizes of the lesions, and then the total volume estimates. So then you can use those data points longitudinally to evaluate is it progressing, regressing, or stabilizing. Mm -hmm. And I, I could add one more thing too, Fred, is, is um, the on the roadmap, um, so we, we have the base product, it's, it's, it's ready to go on the, on the roadmap or the next version will be we're, we're working with Dr. Gupta to create an atlas of the brain um, and, and algorithmically identify the different regions of the brain. And as the white matter um, intensifies, um, they'll know specific areas and, and functions that that part of the brain controls is, is being affected more or less. Um, so that's, that's kind of the the next, because you know how these things go, you, you just never stop. You just, you know, keep, mm -hmm. keep improving. And, uh, and we think that's going to be a, a significant improvement. Wow. And the, and will there be, is there a charge for these as you put them through or how does that work? We haven't, we haven't finished the pricing yet. We, um, in fact, we're looking for a good um, expert on reimbursement, uh, maybe here in the Jacksonville area that maybe we could talk to. Uh, do you know anybody, Fred? I'll have to think about that one or dig a little deeper here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but now we haven't we haven't finalized it yet. Right now it's it's uh, it's being funded by NLP Logics. And <laughs> uh -huh. and I would assume that you know when this is done, a radiologist is billing for their review. So um, it would be interesting to see how you might that might be looked at. Obviously, over time, as we move to these value-based payment models, it would probably be bundled into something. But I, but I would guess from the efficiency perspective and the ability to know more and have a, a more precise measurement, it would, it would be of great value over time. Yeah, the initial feedback that, that we've gotten from um, 
neurologists that specialize in in you know the white matter diseases um, like MS and and I understand Alzheimer's and and some of these others um, neurological diseases um, that that you know they've they have said hey there's a lot of clinical value here um, you know the the challenges are going to be um, you know at what point do you have to get FDA approval um, you know all the all the hurdles that are there um, we're going to have to start um, you know addressing um, so our initial um, you know, strategy is is to focus on supporting clinical trials and, and using it as a tool that that um, um, is being used in that environment rather than individual physicians, um, you know, using it right out of the right out of the box. But um, you know, it's like it's like anything else; just just takes time. And is there a sense that maybe are, are you looking to publish some of this with Mayo, an article on this or something about it? Yeah, I mean the uh, Matt. I think you've already published um, some for the contest. Yep, we did. We um, we did publish uh, a a paper on our work specifically for the conference. And then the other part that is being published for the conference is the organizer is putting together a sort of an overall study that really is is powerful because it demonstrates that. Uh, the algorithms, the top algorithms are as good as uh, radiologists are as compared to each other. So that's, that's, that's the data point that we keep an eye on um, to understand, it, you know, have we reached that human level performance? So that's, that study's coming out, but that's not coupled with Mayo. Uh, we mm -hmm. do have a paper in the works with Mayo, um, and that is um, around brain imaging, but it's not, it's not directly on on the white matter disease that we're talking about Got it. today. And, and, you know, as you said, you guys do a lot of different stuff with machine learning and deep learning, these different algorithms. Why is imaging so appear to be so amenable to this approach versus maybe some of the other areas in healthcare that people are trying to apply this science to? Yeah. Um, I can take a shot at that one because I, I think that that is it's something I, I, I met, I was thinking about when I was talking about deep learning earlier. So I do think that there's there's a couple of reasons why um, imaging makes a lot of sense. One is the algorithm types. The deep learning algorithms are um, they have a lot of capacity to learn things. So they have a lot of parameters or um, that can be learned and used. They're very flexible, and so they're really powerful algorithms. And they work very well in high dimensional data, which images are very high dimensional. If you think of a thousand by a thousand image with three pixels, that's, you know, a thousand times a thousand times three data points, very large volume. Uh, so that's really important. And then the second part is I think a lot of the tabular data sets and, um, you know, in a health record is the same is that there's a lot of bias that is hidden into how that data was collected and processed. And the nice part about working with imagery is that if I take a MR from five years ago or an MR from eight years ago or an MR from yesterday, is that a, a radiologist would still be able to just interpret what they saw independent of everything else. And so I think that those two things really make imaging um, a really nice fit and especially medical imaging for deep learning and you know for really what I we all think uh, would help the industry. 
Mm-hmm. So without the other, case, oh, oh, go I'm ahead. Sorry, I was going to no, say for the did. other. Uh, we did have, uh, just in the last year, we have seen the FDA uh, approve a number of, of algorithms. So, so the mm-hmm. FDA is, is definitely, um, you know, at least somewhat keeping pace. And, and so there is, there is some positive on that. So kind of to your question on, on healthcare, there is, you're beginning to see some, some real adoption. That's great. And that really is. And so sort of one of those questions that uh, maybe has a little bit of a a political basis and some people like to steer clear of do we do we do you think matt we can reach the point where this stuff is just flat out better than a radiologist looking at the image from a technology standpoint i to me and i guess maybe i'm biased <laughs> i'm probably biased but i i don't think there's a question i mean i look at it this way is that um you know what you're seeing right now is that you give good teams access to quality data, and within three months, they will be on par with the clinicians that annotated that data. So I don't, that's just three months. I mean, that's amazing, I think. So um, I don't think there's any doubt. I think that in a lot, and we, sometimes when we, we talk about this at our big data meetup and stuff, you know, the, what I always say is the technology has, has definitely there. It's outpaced it the technology is ready to do amazing things The um you know it's really access to the data who has access to data to actually apply these algorithms and then once they're applied how do you convince clinicians um that these algorithms are as good as they are because it's that, that's actually it's a big challenge and it's a real challenge that, that you have to overcome mm-hmm. so let me steer you to a little bit an area we we hadn't really touched on, uh, but it kind of overlaps. I mean, you know, we're seeing all this stuff with Facebook and the data and, and what they've been doing with data to understand individuals. Obviously, as you pointed out, that data set is not as solid. Maybe it's a little loose in terms of, you know, it's it's not like an image that each pixel, you know, exactly what it is. It's got some issues mm-hmm. with the data. And, and obviously, in population health, we're very interested in behavior change and stuff. How powerful do you think this can get in that area? Well, in, uh, I mean, very, I guess it, mm-hmm. you know, again, to me, it's going to come to, um, you know, Facebook has, has acquired, you know, very carefully acquired and designed a process to build an incredible data set. Um, I'm going to say that the data sets were, were gathering in other locations, potentially in healthcare as well is probably not as carefully designed. Um, but if it is, and, and if, you know, the thing we talk about here is once we, once we are able to merge our vision algorithms with the algorithms that read the EHR records and process the natural language and use all of that information, then we're going to do even better. And we're going to, it's going to scale much nicer. You know, the algorithms aren't going to get tired searching through the medical record. The eyes don't get fatigued at the end of a long day reading MRs all day. So I really think that there's tremendous potential, obviously. Uh-huh. And do you think you know we can get to this uh, that we under that we understand an individual well enough that we can either message them or incent them or you know to to result in a behavior change? So I I think it, it and I've I've read some. Uh, studies where um, you know Facebook again, um, some of their their data scientists 
um, you know, pushed the envelope a little bit and actually did some behavior changing um, things based on likes and, and some other things. So I think the, um, you know, just based on that, I, I would say, you know, absolutely. You know, everyone's, everyone's got their nose to their phones these days and, and, and it does affect their moods and their behavior. And, and so there's, there's nothing that, um, you know, I, I don't, I think that if, if put to, to, uh, to good use and, and for good, mm-hmm. that, that there's definitely opportunities there. Fascinating. Anything you guys are considering in that area? Uh, we have a rule around here, no politics and nothing controversial. So we try to, I will say we, we do a lot of support, uh, marketing support and messaging support for uh, quite a few companies. And, and so we're, we're already there. Got it. Well, thank you so much, Ted, Matt, as always great learning more about what you're doing and your launch on that product with Azure and the rest of it. So congratulations. Great. Thank Thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks, Fred. And I echo that sentiment as well. That will have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guests, Ted Willick and Matt Bursett, of CEO and lead scientists, respectively, of NLP Logics for their time and insights today. Do follow NLP Logics' work on the web by www.nlplogics, and that's with an X.com, and on Twitter via at NLPLogics. And finally, if your hospital health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is in the market for social media support, including content development, curation, engagement, or amplification, ping me on Twitter by at the number two health guru or email Greg with two G's at healthinnovationmedia.com. Fred and I will be, will be happy to lend you our subject matter expertise. Finally, do make a point of following our live stream from the World Healthcare Congress in Washington, D.C., April 29th through May 2nd. We'll be live streaming our interviews of keynote faculty and other luminaries in the exhibit hall. Days and times to be posted shortly on this week in health innovation. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Bye now.